0: When life happens, plans need to change. Shaping Change, hosted by certified financial planner, Ross Marino, is dedicated to helping financial advisors better serve their clients when life takes those unexpected turns. Welcome to the Shaping Change show. Today, I'm joined by John Deal, Senior Vice President of the Applied Insights team at Hartford Funds. Hi, John.
1: Hi. Thanks for having me, Ross.
0: Excited to have you on. I love some of the resources that Hartford Funds comes out with. I received an email from a team member a little while ago and they said, check this out, knowing that I would absolutely love it. And it's your newest presentation that you came out with. But when we talk about Hartford and we think about Hartford, I go back to what I think is one of my all-time favorites which is from the MIT a- Age Lab, and it's the quality of life. It's the, the three questions. So just for people that may not be familiar with it, how about we open with the three questions that help determine your quality of life?
1: So yeah, the, the three questions are a little bit quirky when you think about the rocket scientist at MIT. But the three questions uh, to predict the future quality of life is, who's going to change your light bulbs? how are you going to get an ice cream cone? And who are you going to have lunch with? And those three questions, you know, after people stop chuckling, about 20 seconds in, the wheels start to turn. They really address the issues of housing and where am I going to be living? Secondly, access to the things that I enjoy and I want to do into my retirement years. And thirdly, I think the most importantly, what does my social network look like? Who am I going to be spending time with? Do I need to be intentional about new people, new activities, new thoughts moving forward? Because let's face it, we're not just going to be, many of us experiencing a five-year retirement, it may be 25, 30, 35 years. So these three questions may be a little bit deeper than you would think on the surface.
0: They do make you chuckle, but that's the fun part. They make you think about it. And as soon as you think about why you're asking those questions. They address the issues that have so much to do with our quality of life. And and then I know, and I don't want to make this sound like a, a long, heartfelt presentation because it's not sponsored. Um, I reached out to you guys because I love your stuff. Uh, but 8,000 days, that was the next one that I thought, brilliant. So could you do 60 seconds on what 8,000 days is?
1: Absolutely. So the researchers at MIT tell us that your life can be divided, generally speaking, into four 8,000-day segments. So Imagine this is approximately 8,000 days from the day you're born to the day you graduate college university. Another 8,000 days from graduation till your first midlife crisis, because now that we're living longer, we may have multiple midlife crises. It's another 8,000 days from midlife crisis to retirement, and then you guessed it, another 8,000 days from retirement till re- expirement. However, nobody really knows how long that last segment is going to last. And the problem that MIT says that we need to reckon with is that the script has already been written in the first three segments. But the fact of the matter is that the story of retirement, which has been handed down to us from previous generations, really doesn't match with the experience that many of us are likely to have given improved lifestyle, improved medicine, and extended longevity. So the 8,000 days uh, concept really challenges us to think about what that last 8,000 days looks like. By the way, that's just shy of 22 years. So thinking about what does that look like? How can we clarify what that looks like? And then what does that mean from an investment from a lifestyle decision standpoint? So yeah, it's been one of our more popular topics. Thanks for asking Ross.
0: Really good stuff. So now let's dive into what caught my attention this time. I'm big on decision-making. I'm not as big on what do we think 22 years from now. I'm more interested, at least for my practice, on what's going on right now, because people tend to call me or are referred to me when something's going on. And you want to help them make good decisions. Well, as a financial planner, I have the same experience that all other financial planners have. And that is sometimes people make decisions that when we look at what they decided, we think, no it's painfully obvious that's not the right decision. People around them know that's not the right decision. And in our heads, we think, what were these people thinking? But as I look through your resources, maybe a better question is, what's your story? So let's start with that.
1: Absolutely, you know, it's not not rational thought, Ross, that puts money in motion. We have a saying that says, it's emotion that puts money in motion. And those emotions that we have are usually tied to significant people or events in our lives that have shaped the way that we think about money.
0: Yeah, and I love that nugget right there. So there's my first takeaway. You're always good for quotes, John. It's emotion (laughs) that puts money in motion. So nugget number one there. So in our process, when someone calls in, I say, what's going on? We want to find out what happened. And then my second step is, is how'd you get here? Which includes what's your story. And I, I like how you take a look at story and it goes back to their history, not just what re- led up to that event, but actually back to their childhood. But when you look at the story You guys also delineate between the script. So there's money stories, but you also talk about money scripts. Can you define those two?
1: Sure. So if if you think about it, Ross, our relationship with money is maybe one of the longest running relationships that we have. It actually began before we were born as our parents started to think about, well, how am I going to deal with this? What, What do I have to save for, invest for all the way through past when we're gone, as we make estate plans so that we can pass on what's important to us, not only financially, but what's important to us in terms of values and principles to the next generation. So the difference between a money story and a money script, if I'm talking about someone's money story, I'm really talking about a compilation of many different feelings and attitudes and memories that they have about anything related to my relationship with money. It might be how I feel about investing, risk tolerance. It might be about how I feel about saving or uh, maybe charitable giving, things like that. So there's many components of the money story and that's what we call a money script. So if we think about a money script, when, when we think about uh, investing, for example, um, I could probably look back and think about key events in my history that maybe discouraged me from taking more risks or maybe encouraged me from taking more risks. Every person is different, has has different events and different stories that influence the way they think about money. So what we encourage people to do is spend some time thinking about the different scripts, right, which are either events that occurred in our lives that kind of wrote a part of our money story. Or they're about categories of kind of our relationship with money, as I mentioned, investing, saving, spending, or giving. um, Those are scripts that are made up of kind of individual paragraphs, if you will, stories about what shaped our attitudes towards money. And I think, Ross, you probably know it's oftentimes these unspoken stories that influence the way we deal with money. Maybe more so than just the rational approach where we say, this is absolutely the right thing to do, but I just can't go there.
0: Well, I love to say there's no such thing as a purely financial decision. And now I actually know that it's emotion that puts money in motion. Oh, that's it's still correct. my favorite nugget, right? I, I know it's <laughs> early in the interview, still my favorite <laughs> nugget right there. Sure. What I've recently learned about and studied, and, and I found it really insightful, is that when we look back to our history, We have these memories, the money story. How I view that today, John, is different than how I would have viewed it 10 or 15 years ago. Because as I mature and I grow, the memories in my head, I actually frame them a little bit differently. I see the significance today that maybe I didn't understand 10 years ago. So even though I may have talked about some of these in the past or said, well, this is what my mother was like. This is what my father was like. If I go through that again, all of a sudden I may update it in my brain of this was the significance of that event. Maybe this is good. Maybe this is bad. Do you guys talk about that as how over time we may view things differently?
1: We do. We, as people, we always change. We, we, we shift, we do carry core values with us, but I I think your example is a funny one, you know, and it does, these scripts can even impact our relationships with other people. So I'll give you an example. When I think back to my money story, I, I think of my, my father's mother, my grandmother, maybe the most frugal woman I've ever met in my life. She was a farmer, and I'm telling you, nothing went to waste, right? So how did that impact me? Well, when we first got married, uh, you know, I was the cheapest guy you could find, right? If I had a sofa that had three legs and the stuffing coming out of it, I'd throw a blanket over and tell my wife, it's just fine. Well, thankfully, she's not that person. My wife is a person who is practical in her spending, but she, she spends money on the things that we really need that I would often overlook. And I learned to be grateful for that because I learned that this is a weakness that I have that was kind of written into my story at a fairly early age. So you're right, where at first we may think, Yeah, my way is the right way of thinking over time, we gain perspective and we start thinking about why we do the things that we do. And this is what we should understand is that the power of story, the researchers at MIT tell us that a story is the oldest form of technology. It's how we as as humans communicate what's important, how to do things, so on and so forth. So it's no different when we talk about our money story, what got us to this point? Because those forces continue to shape and continue to develop us uh, as we mature.
0: When I hear frugality, the first word that pops into my mind is is fear, John. And it's Mm -hmm. nice to say we're frugal because that sounds positive. We don't waste money, we save money, we make good decisions. But I think a lot of that's just driven by fear And over time, we probably have to address that that's really the core or the root of why we're so frugal, don't you think?
1: I think that's a very solid point. And I do think when I think back again, my grandparents didn't have much money, right? So that fear of not having enough or not being able to provide or making the most out of everything that we have was something that was driven home. And even in my own career as I, you know, no matter how much success I I witnessed, there's always a part of me taking me back to my grandparents' farm and remembering some of those lessons they taught me.
0: You bring up some myths about money that shape how we think and how we feel. How about you share a few of them?
1: Sure. So we already touched on one, and that is that you know money decisions are rational. No, they're emotional, and emotions are important. But here's a connected thought, Ross, is that some people say, well, emotions about money must be bad. It's like, Money is very rational, and so if I get emotional, but no, emotions are surrounding money are actually very good. They can inform us, again, about what might be influencing our decisions. And lastly, a, a big one that I see is that sometimes people say men are better with money than women. There's absolutely no basis for this, right? In fact, what we often find, in fact, the researchers at MIT will tell you, oftentimes, women make better longer-term investors because they tend to to put more time into research. And they're also more concerned about if they make a mistake, how is it going to affect not just their spouse, but all the relationships around them, right? How might it screw things up for children or grandchildren or friends or so on and so forth. And so, you know, gender is not necessarily determined. It's not determinant. And sometimes what we see is that connected that with that myth is uh, a lack of confidence, right? And it's really that confidence that can really impact our decisions we make. So we don't wind up taking risks that might be good risks to take because we're just not confident in our own ability. So that is a total myth um, and, and should be sat on the side.
0: There's no doubt in my experience that women are, in my experience, better long-term investors in general. They tend to think a little bit deeper, especially when the markets are more traumatic. And I, I often thought part of it is, is they're more in touch with their emotions and they share their emotions, but recognize it as emotions. It's an observation I've made throughout bear markets. And they've done well, they're willing to talk about it. So I I think it's worked out, but I'm sample of one. So we're not going to call that as investment advice. This isn't investment advice, but it certainly resonates with me. So next, when I went through your materials, I I saw the money genogram and it said, (laughs) create a money genogram, right? My first thought was, that is so cool, a money genogram. And then I paused and my second thought was, what's a genogram? Help us out here. (laughs)
1: Well, Ross, just as uh, you mentioned our partnership with the MIT Age Lab, when we develop content like this, we often uh, go out and form partnerships with thought leaders in the field. So for this particular module, Your Money Story, it was a woman by the name of Kathleen Burns Kingsbury. She's a money psychologist. And she shared with us this idea of a money genogram. Think of it as a money family tree, right? So the easy way, back of a napkin, blank piece of paper. You kind of draw out your typical family tree. Now, I don't want you to go crazy with cousins, aunts, uncles, all that. In fact, all we recommend is you have parents on both sides and grandparents on both sides. And as you label them, I want you to think back to experiences or their circumstances in life, or maybe even an event that occurred, something they said to you, something that guided you or something you remember about them that still sticks with you. So, uh, for example, I could, as I shared already, my grandparents were farmers. My, my grandmother was you know, pretty simple, pretty straightforward, frugal, uh, if you will. Uh, whereas on another side of my family, it might've been something totally different. But if we go through and start intentionally thinking about, and by the way, I will also add this, it doesn't necessarily have to be somebody in the family tree. Let's say that somewhere in your life, someone stepped in who was a mentor or had great influence on the way you live or think, Uh, probably a very dear friend, mentor, again, uh, you know, certainly very close relationship. Maybe there's something they taught you about spending, saving, giving, whatever that might be. We want you to kind of write down that thought, not a paragraph, just a couple of ideas, a couple of thoughts so that you can see all at once what those various forces are that kind of shape the way that you think about money. Maybe they created some of those money scripts that we talked about that are now part of your money story.
0: So let's say I have some unhealthy scripts in my head. I'm human. I definitely have unhealthy scripts in my head. I had someone on recently as a guest and I remember she she said good thoughts are like Teflon in the brain, bad thoughts are like Velcro.
1: Yes. A great much
0: so. visual and how you need three good thoughts to cancel out the bad thought, and which is why we often write down three things we're grateful for in the morning. And I know from the investment world, and you would know that markets go down roughly three times as fast as they go up. And we know that three to one relationship. So I know I I thought about that. It seems consistent with what I've learned. But now I know there's scripts that are in my head, whether I'm aware of them or not. Now, all of a sudden, I'm aware of them and I know they're in there and they're going to be negative. So for the negative ones how should i approach that i got so to change it
1: yeah the very first step is to do exactly exactly what you said is to name it you know name it and claim it so identifying the problem look if we're in any kind of change management if we're going to attempt to change something the first thing we do is identify what it is so if we're maybe going to go on a diet lose a few pounds one of the first things we're going to do is take stock of how am I eating today? What am I eating? What times am I eating? How about my exercise routine? So on and so forth. I need to find out where I am. Once I do that, there's a couple of things that I can do. I can begin to think about the small things that I might do differently, right? And then one of the important things is once I determine a couple of things, and by the way, these are things that we ourselves need to change. For example, changing because I think my spouse or my child or thinks that I should change is not usually a good recipe for change management. If I can identify the root causes of a behavior that I wish to change, it becomes my motivation to change it. Then I can name it and begin to think about some of the small things that I'll put into place. Maybe the, one of the most important things is creating a, a, either an accountability network or at least an accountability partner. When it comes to issues involving money, oftentimes a financial advisor has a role to play here, right? Stating to the advisor what you'd like to try and do, having the advisor be able to check in with you from time to time. doesn't have to be an advisor. It could be somebody close, could be a friend, a family member, whoever it is. But then, again, kind of understanding why you were influenced in the first place, being able to envision how things might be different if you were able to put that change into effect is creates the desire then to be accountable to making those changes. And I think that, that's the process that we really wanna identify.
0: So you have multiple resources out there. Before we get to the last question, um, are all of these available on the website? If someone connects, goes to Hartford Funds, is that where they can find everything?
1: They are. You can find all of the material on hartfordfunds.com. And again, that the name of the presentation is Your Money Story. And uh, we have campaigns, we have a white paper, actually have a workbook that's very, very valuable that can walk people all the way through this.
0: The workbook is where I saw the the genogram and of course thought so cool and then had to Google. Well, actually there's a guy here in the office named Trey and I may joke that I don't need Google if I've got Trey. So I just asked Trey, you know, what's a money genogram? And he actually on the spot told me what it was. I thought that's just weird. How do you know all this stuff? But it worked. It's uh, great resources. Look forward to, to seeing whatever else you guys come up with. Let's pivot to the last question. It's always the same, John. It's for everybody. It's my magic wand, compliments of Disney, swiped from my daughters. If you could wave this wand, change anything in the world, what would you change?
1: Hmm. I think I would desire that uh, social media would only be used to lift people up and to promote optimistic ideas. I think, I think sometimes it's our own worst enemy and it reflects some of, the, some of the really bad things that are going on in society as well as it can reflect some really good things that are going on. If I could just filter out that bad part, I think the world would be a much better place.
0: That's a great wish and I think we would need a magic wand for it. <laughs> John Deal, thanks so much for being on the show today.
1: Thanks, Ross. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you for listening to Shaping Change with Ross Marino. This show is for general information purposes only and is not intended to provide recommendations or advice. Speak with a legal, tax, or financial advisor before making any decisions. Past performance references are historical and do not guarantee future results. Visit rlsummit.com to learn more.